Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, crop rotation plays a key role in sustainable production practices. There are many factors for growers to consider in their short and long-term crop planning. Western Egg professional agrologist Edgar Hammermeister says long-term crop planning is necessary for profitability, pest management, and soil health. Edgar will discuss the costs and benefits of crop choices based on a number of factors that impact agronomy and ultimately long-term profitability. And the Saskatchewan government says it will spend $4 billion in new irrigation infrastructure at Lake Diefenbaker, a project that has been in the discussion stages for decades. The province plans to spend $22.5 million for preliminary engineering and initial construction. Once in full operation, an additional 500,000 acres will be irrigated, which is double the current total. Saskatchewan Irrigation Projects Association Board Chair Aaron Gray is excited about the announcement. He'll share plans and discuss the potential for economic growth from the province's biggest ever infrastructure project to date. After the break, Edgar Hammermeister. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Western Ag professional agrologist Edgar Hammermeister is my guest. Edgar, there's a great deal of importance in planning the proper crop rotations. And you've talked about uh, viability through flexibility and sustainability. So one area you focus on is protecting the effectiveness of herbicides and how important that is. Well, certainly we're trying to pick crops that are... uh, trying to anticipate the market opportunities. I don't look at uh, or try and pick crops looking in the rear view mirror. Um, I try to anticipate what demand is going to be. But I also use crop rotation to induce uh, thinking about herbicide rotation. And I think about herbicide rotation an awful lot because I really appreciate the opportunity to use lower cost uh, generic herbicides to, to control challenges. Now, it's not that I don't use the name brand, the new products. It's all about using the right product for the right circumstance. But herbicide weed resistance is having an impact. But uh, in the province, generally, there is a growing presence of of weeds, uh, herbicide-resistant weeds. And not just single-mode resistance. There is a growing amount of uh, multi-site resistance uh, developing in our province. And my concern is that uh, this is going to migrate from 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 my neighbors from the, the region into my farm. And how bad can it get? Well, in 2015, uh, in Manitoba, there was a five-way resistant wild oats developed uh, or identified. And I don't really know how you can control that short of cultivation um, or beating it with a stick. And you've said that there are three key components to consider when choosing the proper rotation, maybe run through those. The three components are economics, environment, and a social responsibility. Now, when it comes to sustainability on economics, of course, money talks. Net returns are are what are looked at first, Um, but there are short and long-term considerations around around, uh, the finances. As farmers, we're looking at what to manage our workload. We're looking at logistics. Uh, we're planning our labor, our equipment, and, and storage requirements as we contemplate crop rotations. 
But something that I'm going to look at a little bit deeper is the, the risk management that farmers use crop rotations or, or need to be thinking about um, in crop rotation. And those uh, include fi- the financial disease and social risk. Maybe just explain how farmers have adapted to some new opportunities. Can you give us some examples? And this uh, is identifying how soybeans gained popularity in, in Manitoba through the 2000s up to 2017. Um, there was a, a series of years that were really quite wet, making canola struggle to, to be a viable uh, crop. Uh, soybean prices uh uh, improved greatly, and there was improvements in varieties uh, that let us grow soybeans uh, north of the 49th parallel. The uh, acres mostly shifted out of flax and peas. Uh, canola intensity shifted west uh, towards Saskatchewan, and the soybeans, uh, for the most part, were grown in the Red River Valley and east of the river. Those growth in acres continued through 2017, but in the start of 2017, Manitoba has had three years of drought. Uh, something that they're absolutely not used to having. The uh, And if you don't have uh, moisture in August, then uh, soybean yields can be really hampered. And, uh, and so soybeans have been falling out of favor. So this is a Manitoba example, how farmers respond to, to the circumstances and selecting crops for different rotations. Um, but I'll give it a, a Saskatchewan example. But back in 1998, chickpeas grown in the province, there was about 50,000 acres grown. And as farmers became familiar with the crop, there was also a coincidence of some very good crop prices. And crop rotations grew tight. The acres increased from 50,000 to 450,000 acres by 2001. And then we got a little bit of moisture and Askakaita hit and decimated yield potential in in the crop. And by 2004, just three years later, the acres were back down to 50,000. My guest is Western Ag professional agrologist Edgar Hammermeister. Edgar, let's talk about the crop disease aphanomyces, which is found in pulses. What happened to create such an increase in that disease? Now, for aphanomyces, unfortunately, the disease became very well established before we understood what the risk was. There's a series of wet years um, that uh, let the disease take hold, and there was an oversimplified concept of pulses. They don't like wet feet, and this reduced the producer investigation into what was our growing problem. And now, once that uh, aphanomyces is established in the fields, uh, it, it's a challenge to, to manage. It's, it's doable, but uh, but our options are greatly reduced. We're down to a six to, or eight year rotation out of peas or lentils. There are some pulse options that include uh, soybeans and faba beans, uh, and it's understood that uh, chickpeas have partial resistance. So depending on where you are in the province and your environment, uh, there are options to include pulses. Um, it is, uh, there are indications that uh, canola and mustard uh, in rotation can have a bit of a biofumigation effect, uh, but this is uh, in the very early stages of, of investigation. And growing oats seems to reduce the Phanomyces populations. Uh, interesting crop, those oats. Let's move on to uh, a, a disease that is coming uh, up in canola. So what can be done to manage blackleg? 
well, there are a number of different strategies. There are fungicides that can be applied, um, but overuse risk, uh, has the risk of a resistance development that we just won't be able to use that tool. Uh, canola variety rotation is uh, is going to be a growing concept for us. The industry is putting uh, is putting this together for us. Uh, Australia is well ahead of us here in that uh, they are labeling the the different types of of gene resistance on and connecting it to the canola varieties. And so farmers are starting to rotate their canola varieties based on the resistance labeling. And uh, that is a coming uh, opportunity for, for us in the prairies, but we don't have it yet. In the research, they're also looking at uh, stacking uh, genes to, uh, to have multiple modes of resistance uh, to black leg, and that should protect uh, our uh, genetics uh, for many years to come once that technology becomes available. But that so-called best method is something most farmers uh, appear to be reluctant to do. But ultimately, it comes down to crop rotation. Getting out of canola for a little longer time gives time for the for the uh, the breakdown of, of residue, canola residue, and the spore degradation, and to reduce the the presence of the, the black leg disease. So let's talk about clubroot, particularly as it pertains to Alberta. It's been an incredible challenge for farmers. Uh, are we learning anything from what's happened in Alberta that will help Saskatchewan and Manitoba producers? Clubroot identified clubroot fields uh, are growing in number. And in 2019, there's been over 3,000 fields uh, uh, identified in, in having uh, clubroot that's ha- impacting yield potential. The spread of this disease has been rather rapid, in, in my opinion, for a soil-borne disease. Um, when the Canadian canola companies uh, identified the, the challenge, or I guess it was identified to them, they quickly assessed uh, if any of the, the varieties that were on the market at the time uh, were showing a resistance to club root. Now, this wasn't by design. This was purely by serendipity. And, and there was a variety. It was Pioneer 45H29 uh, that was first identified. And so that variety was uh, uh, identified in 2009 and made available to farmers to use. The, um, but it had a single trait resistance. By 2013-14... That resistance had been overcome by clubroot. And how did that occur? So the Alberta farmers were growing clubroot-tolerant canola on canola stubble infected with clubroot three years in a row. So selection pressure against that single gene resistance trait was overwhelming, and they lost that that tool. Edgar, what are the... Economic implications of not adjusting how we deal with club root, uh, herbicide rotation, fungicide management, uh, and disease. We'll have declining yields, and and our crops are going to become more expensive to protect. In the environment, we're going to have more pests and fewer tools to control them. And this is across the whole spectrum of weeds, diseases, and insects. And. Socially, how we interact with our customers, um, our city cousins, our social license seems to be shifting to societal demands. Our customers are starting to demand more transparency. And for research dollars, the tax dollars are becoming scarce. 
And is there going to be a support for our industry when if we're exhibiting poor stewardship? Our social license to farm the way we want to is vulnerable. And evidence of this, you just have to do a little bit of searching and and it's there. There's discussion about codes of practice identified in contracts that we sign um, for production going to, to Europe um, and the pressures on you know how we use glyphosate. It's all about how we use the tools and being responsible stewards of those tools. The access to information is is uh, quite amazing now with the advent of of the internet and, and Google. And if you would Google crop rotation benefits, so a layperson would use Google. They type in crop rotation benefits and they'll get over 12 million results. For the more scientific-minded folks, if they want to delve into the research papers, if you enter into Google Scholar crop rotation benefits, there's over 358,000 results. Science is pointing toward the benefits of crop rotation. What is the argument that we're using against using the science? So what is the best way to deal with these issues? If we work together, everyone benefits. From my perspective, it is too late for a phantomyces. It's a hard road to hoe now for, for many, just because the disease, disease established before we really knew what we were dealing with. But I feel that there is time between for black leg and club root management. We have disease-resistant resist, canola varieties. We need to look at getting stacked genes, and we need to vary those genes. I'm hoping that there is time for black leg, black leg and club root. We have clean farms, relatively speaking. Wouldn't it be cheaper to keep them that way? Western Ag professional agrologist Edgar Hammermeister. After the break, Aaron Gray tells us about the $4 billion irrigation project announced for Lake Diefenbaker. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarland. The chair of Saskatchewan Irrigation Projects Association is very happy about the future following the announcement of a $4 billion project at Lake Diefenbaker. Now, that work will occur in three phases over the next 10 years and cost in the neighborhood of $4 billion. So when all is said and done, another 500,000 acres will be irrigated from Lake Diefenbaker about double what we currently have in irrigation in Saskatchewan. Aaron Gray is with me. And Aaron, it looks like this expanded irrigation is uh, has the potential to create a lot of economic opportunities. Grow higher value foods and uh, get more processing in the area. Export table food instead of import table food. You know, that would be just a perfect dream. And, and I think everything combined with... Uh, Everything happening with the economy and needing something to spur the economy. And COVID here, people are looking more on food safety and wanting to know where their food's coming from. I think everything all rolled up to a perfect little package and also flood mitigation and drought proofing. The federal government's been wanting to do a lot of work of that with the green programs and the province figures that this is a perfect time and, and we all think it's a perfect time. And yeah, let's change Saskatchewan. Expanding irrigation at Lake Diefenbaker is certainly not a new idea. Government's been lobbying for this, and your organization has been lobbying for this for three decades already. Like, everybody's scared to write a big check for that, but we had to 
keep saying, you know, you do not write this check at once. It's a little bit at a time. It's a little bit at a time. And, and if you put so much a year into the project, eventually you'll get to the end and your money will come back to you for what the value added is. The province uh, does not intend on going at this alone. There has been a request sent to the federal government. Have you had any word or commitment from the feds yet? Well, I haven't heard any numbers for commitment, but uh, just in talks with the federal government, they're wanting to push some sort of irrigation initiative and flood mitigating and stuff like that. So I can't see them not being on board with this. So, Aaron, let's get into some detail here. This project is huge. Uh, just give us an overview of of this project. They're going to uh, widen the canal out, the West Side Canal, and uh, enlarge it and uh, get the water to the source, and then there will be pumping stations set up that will then branch off onto various areas of farmland. And, uh, of course, there will be a, a drainage plan you know, in case you get Mother Nature decides to dump a bunch of water on you, that the water can be utilized back into the reservoir and then irrigated back onto the land. So so hopefully in a perfect world, there will be a very low environmental risk and a very positive environmental outcome with uh, the deer population might increase and you name it, there'll be lots more other species that'll flourish when there's lots of water and lots of vegetation growth. Saskatchewan Irrigation Projects Association Chair Aaron Gray is my guest. So, Aaron, this additional capacity will give farmers an opportunity to use irrigation um, a lot more in a wider area, correct? There's going to be producers that have never run an irrigation pivot before. So there's going to be a steep learning curve, but the fundamentals are the same, right? You put water on, you put the fertility in, you put the seeds in the ground, you're going to get a crop. And the more water and the fertility you put on, the bigger and potentially better crop you can get, right? So so the, the biggest thing is, is what limits a farmer from putting all the groceries per se onto the crop is whether they're going to get the rain. But if you can guarantee yourself the moisture every year, can you imagine what Saskatchewan can grow? Well, it certainly will be astounding. Uh, we're talking about more than just cereal and oilseed crops and hay production. One of the long-term goals, I understand, is to grow vegetables that would be uh, in turn processed in Saskatchewan. Is that right? I think it's a lot easier to transport food once it's processed than it is in the raw form. Nice thing is, you know, there's primary highways around. We got a global transportation hub that's uh, smack dab in the middle of Saskatchewan. You got primary highways on the, both the south and the north routes going to it. What better thing can you have for transportation to process the food here in Saskatchewan, create more jobs, and then export food out? And of course, before that can happen, though, the infrastructure needs to be built. A uh, processor won't come if there's not any irrigation to grow the produce that it wants to process. So you have to have the infrastructure in and the pivot's starting to go up. So the first couple of years, it's likely going to be your the crops that these dryland farmers are used to growing, but they're just going to grow more of it. And then the processors will have to show up before it gets converted into more table foods, I believe. Now, there is also, you know, there's a food fresh Saskatchewan-grown vegetables and stuff that gets all in all the co-op grocery stores. And they've started a little niche market there that can easily be expanded upon. And so table foods will start to get grown here almost right away too, but not until they all of a sudden get a bigger market to expand on, right? 
Aaron Gray is the chair of the Saskatchewan Irrigation Projects Association. Four-billion-dollar mega project over the next 10 years is expected to double the area of irrigated land from Lake Diefenbaker. It's time for the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of July 20, 2020. The recession brought on by the pandemic has been deep and significant. The chief agricultural economist with Farm Credit Canada believes there is a rebound on the horizon. J.P. Gervais presented the risks and opportunities in agricultural markets during Ag in Motion Discovery Plus. He said the economy will retract by 8.4% this year, but he is forecasting a rebound of 4.9% in 2021. And he added that China is a major player when it comes to buying agriculture commodities, so it will be important to rebuild that relationship. The Agricultural Manufacturers of Canada conducted a survey of how COVID-19 has impacted their business. Questions touched on several issues, including what government programs have been utilized, what support companies would like to see, and the time frame for returning to normal. Nearly half of those surveyed used Canada's federal assistance programs, while 6 out of 10 utilized the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. For businesses who have not used government programs, over half did not participate because of a lack of eligibility. The Saskatchewan government announced $1 million in funding for water management demonstration projects. The 11 projects will set the stage for further consultations to find new and effective ways to manage water on agricultural lands. Water Security Agency Legislative Secretary Lyle Stewart said the work will provide local and science-based solutions to the province's drainage issues. Farmers have been reaching out to the experts for some help identifying problems in their fields during this growing season, and that has kept the staff at Saskatchewan's Crop Protection Lab busy. Manager Scott Hartley says a majority of samples relate to environmental conditions from drought to wind damage. He says there has been a lot of twisting and flipping of plants, and that looks like disease, but ultimately it's drought stress. Hartley said there have also been cases of herbicide carryover damage, insects and root rot. The Western Canadian wheat growers recently surveyed the four Conservative Party leadership candidates regarding their position on six specific agriculture policies. Some of the questions candidates were asked were about their priorities for farmers and the agriculture industry on the prairies, their position on free and competitive markets and international trade and carbon pricing system, as well as grain transportation. The responses were posted on the wheat growers' website. The grain markets were trading lower as a result of the latest U.S. Department of Agriculture crop ratings report. Corn and soy futures after the USDA report said the condition of both those U.S. crops were better than expected. Wheat dropped as global demand was assessed and the U.S. harvest continued to progress rapidly. Seed Grain Marketing Senior Analyst Wayne Palmer said another factor weighing on prices and all North American grain crops are enjoying very good grain-growing weather. And a greenhouse in southern Alberta will be the main supplier of lettuce for Wendy's restaurant chain in Canada. Whole Leaf, located in Coaldale, will be supplying zero-pesticide lettuce to all 384 locations. The year-round greenhouse operation promotes clean Canadian greens, growing over 20 million heads of lettuce a year. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.